Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc SOAP and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Father, we just want to thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you. It's a gift. Uh, help us to unwrap it, Lord, and live it fully for you. And Father, we just ask today that you would breathe on your word. Holy Spirit, we know you inspired it many years ago. And we just pray you would just breathe on these words again, take them off the page, imprint them in our hearts. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just highlight to each of us as we look at this chapter, highlight, Lord, that part that really you're trying to address in our own specific lives. And I'm sure it may be different for each of us. So, Lord, we come with an open spirit, and we thank you for meeting us through your word. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read it. John 16. Jesus is speaking. He's in the upper room here. Uh, shortly, he's going to be crucified. And this is the, the last time, you might say, he has a gathering with his disciples. And part of that upper room discourse here is John 16. He says this, these things I've spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcast from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer behold me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. A little while. And you'll no longer behold me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this thing he's telling us? A little while, 
and you will not behold me. Again, a little while, and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. And so they were saying, what is this that he says? A little while. We did not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. He said to them, are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while, and you will not behold me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow, because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more, for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. And in that day, you will ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he'll give it to you in my name. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will speak no more to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and I believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now he, you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Amen. 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 Okay. Uh, looking at John 16, uh, basically I think four points that, that jump out at me. Number one. Obviously, we're looking at Jesus' death and his resurrection. Two, we're looking at, okay, what happens afterward, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Third point is the Lord wants to give us peace in the midst of our tribulations and trials. So if you're having a hard time right now, know that God, even in the midst of that, wants you to have peace. And not only peace, number four, I believe he wants us to experience his joy. So let's look at those, those four points. Number one, the death and the resurrection. Okay, Jesus is in the upper room. This is his last gathering with the disciples before he's going to be nailed to a cross. So he's bearing his very heart and his soul to them. And he starts here um, in John 16 and verse 16. He says this, a little while and you will no longer behold me. So he's, he's basically predicting in a little while, guess what? I'm not going to be around. 
Uh, he's saying basically die. And he spells that out a little bit more. If you look at verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and you're going to lament. In other words, the disciples kind of felt like everything went up in smoke. They had this great hope. Jesus was the Messiah. He was going to usher in a new kingdom age. Here he is. He's dead. He's buried. It looks literally to them like it is all over. They're down in the dumps at this point, big time. Uh, they're weeping. They're lamenting. And the world is rejoicing. The religious leaders uh, of the Jews are happy. They're glad Jesus is dead. Uh, so it, it's painting a very dark picture, at least from the disciples' perspective, after the, the crucifixion, like they thought, it's all, all over. But, but Jesus has something to say. And I, there's a lot of buts in the Bible, and I love that word, but. It doesn't just leave you in the negative. There's a turning. Uh, and again, 20, truly, truly, I say to you that you'll weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but here's the big word, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Your sorrow will be turned to joy. He's talking about the resurrection. That the, the, the crucifixion is not an end. It's a doorway to Jesus' resurrection and new life for us. And really, that's what our faith is. is it's, it's built on. We need a foundation. And the foundation is, number one, what we're celebrating right around the bend here. Jesus came in human flesh. He was born and that he was God's son. We also celebrate his death on Good Friday. And then we celebrate on Easter his resurrection from the dead. And if he wasn't resurrected from the dead, guess what? His birth wouldn't mean anything, and his death on the cross wouldn't. So the real cornerstone is that resurrection. Without that, our faith is vain, according to Paul. And we know he was resurrected. Uh, if you look at the gospel accounts, Peter and John run, they find an empty tomb. The two Marys find an empty tomb, and then Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Um, he appears to two men traveling to the road to Emmaus. He appears to 11 disciples in a resurrected body. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, uh, we're told that he appeared to more than 500 believers. And then Paul says at the end, he literally appeared to him as he's traveling to the road to Damascus. So very clearly, we see the death of Jesus, the resurrection. But it doesn't stop there. There's another step. Jesus departs, but he says, don't you get upset because I'm going to send a replacement for me. And that replacement is clearly the Holy Spirit. And he, he spells this out. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, in verse 7, he makes this amazing statement to his disciples. He says this. Look at verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, hear that word, advantage, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And I can hear the disciples saying, you got to be kidding, Jesus. What do you mean it's to our advantage that you go away? I mean, like, Lord, there's just no way we're going to be able to pull this thing off without you being around. We need you, Jesus. I can also 
I can always see them grab him and hang on. No, you're not going anywhere. We need you. No way. Uh, but Jesus basically is very clear. He says, you know, well, guess what? If I stay here, that's it. it, it it's not good. Uh, it's much better that I die. I go to heaven and I send the helper because basically I think what he's saying, if I don't ascend, then basically I'm localized in a resurrection body and I can only be at one spot at one time. So if you can imagine, let's just say Jesus is resurrected from the dead, but he stays in a resurrected body on the planet earth. So if you wanted to interact with your Savior and your Lord, guess what? You're going to have to jump on a jet, and you're going to have to fly over Tel Aviv. I don't know how many hours. Maybe it's a 12-hour flight, whatever. Now you're in Israel. Uh, and guess what? Jesus being resurrected from the dead is like the all-time popular person on the planet. And millions of people, obviously, you're going to be trying to find him and crowd around him because obviously people are going to be hungry to know spiritually what he's about, but people are sick and they're going to become the blind, the deaf, the dumb are going to try to get to him. There's going to be crowds. If you've ever been to Disney world and you get into crowds, which can get overwhelming. If you think those are crowds, you've seen nothing yet. And it's interesting. Jesus said, no, no disciples. If I'm staying on the earth, in a resurrected body, I, I can't minister to all the believers around the world. But he said, no, it's better. It's better. It's better. Because if I go, I can actually come and live in each, every one of you through the person of the Holy Spirit, who he calls the helper. And boy, we need a lot of help. I know I do. And I'm sure you do at times. So Jesus says, no, it's to your advantage I go. I'm not going to be isolated in one geographical spot. I can live in every single believer. And that could be millions and millions of Christians all over. So you have literally sitting inside of you the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I basically, I think it. this is what's been hitting me. Think about it. Jesus had tremendous intimacy with his disciples. I mean, they hung out. I mean, they hung out, they traveled together, they ate together, they slept together. At times, they would bring their questions and their problems to Jesus. Uh, at one point, they came to us and said, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. And the way I, I, I had it the other day, and it kind of got me, is they had this intimacy. And when they had a problem, they ran to Jesus, they interacted with him, and they got some kind of a, a connection that satisfied them. What hit me is if Jesus said, guess what? I'm taking off, but I'm going to send a replacement. Then I think he would be saying the Holy Spirit will be to you what I was to the disciples. So he and the disciples were, they were a tight, tight group. And I think he said, if I was that way back then, if I send the spirit, then you and the Holy Spirit can have the same interaction and intimacy that I had with my disciples when I walked the earth. Now, that, that kind of blows my brain when you really think about it. You have within you Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and the way they interacted with Jesus intimately, we can interact with Jesus intimately through his Holy Spirit. So, in a sense, 
<clears throat> the Holy Spirit is our intimate friend, our best friend, you might say. He is our helper. He's our mentor. He's our tutor. Uh, like the disciples of old, I think we can run to him at times and say, like, Holy Spirit, help. I mean, I need help. What do I do here? Help me figure this out. Uh, that we can develop that kind of relationship with him. But the Holy Spirit has many roles. And it's amazing here in John 16, the Lord kind of lays out, okay, what is the job description of the Holy Spirit? Okay, if you look at that, <clears throat> number verse 8, uh, when he, and notice the Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit's not a force. He's a person, the third mighty person of the Trinity. Uh, if you look back it up a minute in 7, I will send him to you. That's a personal pronoun. Uh, <clears throat> again, personal pronoun, 8. When he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So basically, the job of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction of sin, to show us we have a need, to show us that he died on the cross to meet that need, which is to wipe away our sins and restore us to fellowship with the Lord. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He assures us of righteousness, that he clothes us with a supernatural righteousness, not one we earn with our good works but one that's imputed to us and given to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And also, it says he comes uh, to convict us uh, that the rule of the world has been judged. In other words, that Satan, even though he's still roaming like a fierce lion, basically his teeth have been pulled. Yeah, he still has power, but Jesus has defeated him totally on the cross. So the Holy Spirit does that. Uh, he does something else for us. Look at verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. So I think what that means, <clears throat> he will make the Bible alive to us. That's why I think we pray before we read the Bible. We just don't pick it up like any old book. The Holy Spirit authored it. And I think it, it behooves us to go to the author and say, Holy Spirit, you wrote these words. Now make them alive, make them real in my life. So he'll lead us into all the truth. Uh, and not only that, uh, it goes a little bit further. If you look at 13, um, it says, uh, and at the end of 13, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And guess what? The Holy Spirit, that did that in the book of Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit shows us, hey, this is what's going to happen toward the end of time when Jesus comes back a second time. So the Holy Spirit does that. He does something else. Verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. So the Holy Spirit loves to make Jesus real. The Holy Spirit never points to himself. The Holy Spirit always puts the spotlight on Jesus and tries to make Jesus real to us. So his job, in a sense, is to pull the spiritual blinders from our eyes and to keep doing that, uh, to continually show us, okay, this is what Jesus is like. Let me show you something new about Jesus. 
Let me make him a living reality to you. Not only does the Holy Spirit make Jesus real, but he also reveals to us some of the amazing things that are in Jesus. Let me give you a neat verse here. Um, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, and this is verse 9 to 12, the role of the Spirit. It says this, Jesus is speaking through Paul, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, that which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Wouldn't you like to know all that God has prepared for you? I sure would like that. Verse 10, and for to us, God revealed them through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among the men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now, here it is, verse 12. Now, we have received that you and I, if you've opened your heart to the Lord and the spirits in you, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, okay, the Holy Spirit. Why? That we, you and I, might know the things freely given to us by God. Folks, you have a spiritual bank account. You are a spiritual millionaire. And all the riches that have been put to your spiritual bank account are right here in this book, okay? That's why it behooves us to read the Bible, because this is your last will and testament, and it says everything in here that has been given you in Jesus, but you can't figure it out by yourself. The Bible's clear that the Holy Spirit is the one that has to unpack this book, that has to show us how to make withdrawals and all these amazing treasures that God has put in our spiritual bank account. So the Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus. He likes to make real to us all that he's done and given to us. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12 and other parts of the Bible, we're told that the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts for ministry. And that means in regards to this group of people here on the screen, every one of you has at least minimal one spiritual gift that you can use to serve the Lord. Not something that you can crack out on your own abilities. It's a spiritual, supernatural gift God wants you to be able to use. Not only does the Holy Spirit give you gifts to serve him, he produces the very character of Jesus in you. Uh, let me give you this verse. Um, this is Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22, and let me just add 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, so as the Spirit gets control of your life, he begins to manifest these character traits that are all supernatural. They're not something that you can produce on your own sweat and ability. They are supernatural character traits. So here they are. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And I'm just going to put God in front of these. The fruit of the Spirit is God's love, God's joy, God's peace, God's patience, God's kindness, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's gentleness, and God's self-control. So as you get to know the Spirit, as you yield to him, it's amazing uh, that he will allow you to walk in that supernatural character. He also uh, helps us to know how to pray. It's a very interesting statement here. Look at uh, 
verse 23 and 24. And in that day, this is Jesus speaking, you will ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he'll give it to you in my name. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Now, some people look at that and they see it like a rabbit's foot. Wow, that's pretty cool. Ask whatever you want. Wow, okay, well, I want a new car. I want a bigger house, you know, da-da-da-da. But Jesus is very clear. He says, whatever you ask in my name, and that would be like saying, okay, you need to pray a prayer that I would pray. If you ask in my name, it represents my character. So if you're praying anything in my name, it would be the prayer I would pray in any given situation. Now, the tough thing is, how do you know what Jesus is praying in any given situation? I mean, sometimes I scratch my head and say, Lord, I don't have a clue. What? How do I approach this specific prayer thing? And here again, the Holy Spirit comes to our rescue. If you look at Romans, uh, this is Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 and 27. It says this. And in the same way, the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what I hear the Lord saying here is you don't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit will teach you. Folks, I got to just tell you quite honestly, I am not there yet. Uh, I am pushing on to get closer, but it's hard sometimes for me to discern even what's the spirit praying in this given situation. Uh, I think that's where God wants to take us, but I know I have a ways to go to get close enough to the spirit to discern what indeed is he praying in a given situation. So, you know, sometimes in our journey, we look at the scriptures. I know it's true but we need the grace of God to keep growing into those scriptures so that they become more and more real. So the Holy Spirit teaches us to pray. Uh, And to kind of wrap up uh, this situation, I think as we're talking about Jesus' replacement, the helper, uh, let me just give you this verse. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to make sure I got this reference here. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, I think it's verse 14. Let me see here, just to double check it. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, yeah, that's it, and 14. It says this, it's like a benediction sometimes that has been given in the church. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There's the bottom, bottom, bottom line. The disciples had fellowship with Jesus, right? We talked about it. For three years, they ate with him. They traveled with him. They slept with him. They interacted. They asked questions. They brought their problems. They had fellowship. Now, we're called to replace that. In a sense, yeah, we have fellowship with Jesus. But Jesus, in a sense, says fellowship with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit brings me to you. And again, um, 
That's a little challenging, quite honestly. I could see why it was easier for the disciples in a sense they could see Jesus with their eyes, you know? They could, they could touch him with their hands. They could actually hear him with their ears. We're interacting with an invisible person who lives inside of us. And quite honestly, sometimes that's a little rougher to get a handle on that. Uh, it would have been easier in a sense to have a tangible Jesus. But I think we have to learn and ask the Lord to give us a lot of grace. Holy Spirit, help me to learn how to interact with you. You're invisible, but you're still real. And you're the third person of the Trinity. Help me, help me, help me. And there's just certain people that inspire me. Uh, I love to read certain saints that are beyond where I am because they stretch me to go further. And I've mentioned this, I think, in a soap before or two. Uh, a lady that I've always admired is a lady by the name of Catherine Coleman. Uh, and she had an amazing healing ministry where in the midst of thousands of people, she would get words of knowledge about somebody that was blind getting their sight or somebody that was deaf that was going to be able to hear. And she'd go around the congregation and just spell out, this is happening here, there, there, whatever. But I'll never forget at one of her meetings, she made a statement about the Holy Spirit that just uh, intrigues me and uh, inspires me simultaneously. And at one of the meetings, she just stopped dead in the tracks of her message, just stopped. And she said these three words, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't hurt him. And then she went right into this. Don't hurt him. Why? Because he's my best friend. And I asked myself the question, is the Holy Spirit my best friend? More than any human being, is the Holy Spirit my best friend? So she says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's my best friend. And here's the clincher. He's more real to me than you in the audience. And that just knocked me over. I mean, can I honestly say that the Holy Spirit is more real than you folks on the screen? Again, I'm not there yet. I'm I'm pushing on. <laughs> but I love it when other people have got there and can tell us, hey, this is a possibility by the grace of God. So, okay, we looked at Jesus' death, his resurrection. We looked at his replacement, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then as we're beginning to wrap up here for a little bit, just the idea of peace and joy. If you look back at John 16 again, let me get back here, um, about peace. Look at verse 33. Jesus gave this discourse, and he said, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Well, guess what? Jesus is a realist. I mean, he is a real. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation and hard times. And I don't know anybody on the screen that would argue with that. I think everybody, we've all had our share of pain and heartache, right? Every one of us, no doubt about it. Uh, and guess what? I think we're going to still have our share till the Lord calls us home. Why? Because we're in a fallen world. Job put it this way in Job 5, 7. For man, and you could put woman in there, it's no, no matter which sex, for man is born for trouble as sparks fly upwards. We're in a forward, twisted world 
because of Adam and Eve's sin. And it gets so twisted. If you hear what Hamas has done over there in Palestine area, it's it's it, it's it's reprehensible, terrible, terrible, terrible. So we're living in a messed up world, big time. Uh, and we're, we're going to stay there. But it's interesting. Uh, he said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But here's here's another but. He doesn't just say, okay, it's tribulation and just suck it up and uh, you'll get to heaven someday. No, no. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So Jesus didn't say, okay, you're going to come to me and I'm going to zap you up to heaven and it's going to be a piece of cake. No, he said, no, no, uh-uh. You're going to have to stay in this world, but don't you worry. I'm with you and I've overcome the world. And what I hear Jesus basically saying, yeah, I've overcome. I've overcome temptation. And I believe that in the midst of this hard time, number one, he gives us the ability to overcome temptation. So we're not tripped up and fall into sin. Jesus helps us overcome not only temptation, but he helps us overcome sin because unfortunately at times we do blow it. We drop the ball. But guess what? That's why he died on the cross and why he was resurrected, to give us the ability to know that our sins are forgiven, not because we've earned it, but because he paid for it on the cross. So he's overcome temptation for us. He's overcome death as well. Guess what? When we die, it's not the end. It's just the beginning of a fuller and a deeper walk with the Lord. So. Yeah, we're in a tough place, but it'll help us overcome temptation. He'll help us overcome sin. He'll help us overcome death. And guess what? He'll help us overcome the devil himself. In fact, I believe the Lord uses almost the devil as a pawn and allows him loose because in the process, I think that we go through trials whether they're devil-inspired or just because life is messed up because of the fall. But God uses all these hard times to mold us and to shape us so that we look more and more and more like Jesus, so that more of Jesus shines through us versus us blocking it via our sins, bad attitudes, and bad motives bad thoughts, bad deeds, whatever. So we can have peace because God is with us. Jesus said this, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He didn't say you're not going to have problems. He was a realist. No, you're going to have problems, tribulation, don't worry, but I give you my peace because you can trust I'm working everything for the best in your life. And not only does he promise us peace, he promises us joy as well. Uh, if you look at 16, uh, and if you look at verse 20, he talked about death, but he talks about resurrection. But your sorrow will be turned to joy. And look at the end of 22. Uh, and no one, takes your joy away from you. That's good news. 
He's talking more specifically, why is there joy? Because resurrection wasn't the end, but he's raised from the dead. That's a joyous experience. But I believe uh, the Lord wants to give us joy in a couple of ways. Number one, he just wants us to know the joy of a relationship with him. You want joy? Get close to Jesus. Get into a love relation with Jesus. Receive his love. Love him back. Uh, I think we quoted a verse the other day in Psalm 16. In his presence is fullness of joy. That's what the Lord says. So if you need joy, it's not found necessarily in your circumstances. They go up, they go down. They go up, they go down. But Jesus is a constant. He never moves. He's always the same. And the Bible's very clear that he loves you, and he proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt by being born at Christmas and by dying on a cross. So if you want joy, just get close to Jesus. Receive his love. Remember all of what he's done for you and love him back. If you want joy, then I think another thing is to know that everything Everything that can happen can turn out for your good. I'm not just dreaming that up. Romans 8.28, it says this, God causes all things, not some, not most. It says God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. So if you're walking in an intimate relationship with the Lord, you and I can be totally assured that whatever's entering into my life, I don't know what's going on in your life today, what you're experiencing. But if you're walking with him and he's allowing hard times in, it's because he's trying to do a greater thing in you and through you. And if that be the case, then the only appropriate response that you and I can have in hard times, the only biblical response is found right here in James chapter 1. Verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we can even have joy in the tribulations because we know God's up to something in the midst of that. That's good news. Joy comes by a relationship with somebody who loves you, your creator, joy comes because you can be assured there's nothing that can ultimately harm you. God wants to use even the hard times to make you stronger and better in him. And the last thing, if you want real joy, then share the good news with other people. Share the love that God has given you and be a giver. I think we've said many times before, if you want to be miserable, just think about yourself. If you want to be miserable, then it's all about me. Just think about you and be miserable and just try to fill every little need that you have by your own oath. And you will be a miserable person. If you want to know joy, then get out of yourself. And I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. Forget yourself. Look at the people around you and say, how can I be a blessing to you today? How can I pour the love of God out on you today? Uh, and that will give you joy. So what good things uh, God has given us? He's given us his peace. He's given us joy, even in the midst of a world that's going crazy. So let's pray.
Well, Father, we just thank you. As we look at John 16, Lord, we just thank you for your birth. Uh, as we are in this Advent season, because we know, Lord, if you didn't uh, actually be conceived in Mary, if you if you weren't born, then you couldn't die. And if you couldn't die, then we're still in our sins and we're in a big mess. And Lord, if you weren't resurrected, the whole thing is worthless. So we thank you, Lord, just for these three hinges of our salvation, Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. And we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you've not left us alone, but you've sent the Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to get to know you more. Help us to learn how to fellowship with you. Help us to get to know you as a real person who lives in us. Help us, Holy Spirit, to know your movements so that when you move, we move with you versus running ahead of you or lagging behind. And Lord, I just pray for each of us in the midst of our struggles, whether we're in the middle of them now or whether we walk into them into the future. Oh, Lord, remind us, even in the middle of these things that you promised us, your supernatural peace and your supernatural joy. So, Father, we thank you uh, for your word. And I pray, Lord, whatever we've talked about today that would uh, be in anybody's life here, Lord, just highlight, okay what part we need to think about, meditate on, and put into action. So, Father, we thank you, and we pray in Jesus, in your strong name, amen. Amen. Okay, folks, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.